Great. Uh, open up your Bibles to 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, and we're going to get right into the Word of God. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. And if you're joining us here in person, you'll see it on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, you'll see it uh, on your screen at home. Okay, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. This is God's word. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory, and we thank you so much, Lord, for that time of worship. And we thank you, Lord, that you are always with your people. Thank you for your word, Lord. Your word was given to us as a gift, a letter of love to us, guiding us, teaching us, warning us, building us up. And I pray that you would do that today, Lord. And I pray that everybody who came here would have a heart full of faith to receive your word and everybody joining online as well. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'm very excited to continue our study in the letter of Second Peter. And I hope you're finding this letter very encouraging. I have been personally. But this letter was written so that we would be encouraged during challenging times. And this is exactly why Peter wrote this letter to his audience, a group of Gentile believers in the first century, living in northern Asia Minor, which would be northern Turkey today. And they were facing a lot of tough things, a lot of challenges. But they were facing intense persecution from the outside. The Roman authorities were really persecuting them brutally. They were facing false teaching on the inside. And very little has changed in 2,000 years, amen? Not much has changed in this regard. Because Christians today are still very much facing persecution, things in the world. It might not be direct persecution physically, like these early Christians were facing, but there definitely is challenge to our faith, coming against our faith, and also false teaching spreading throughout churches on the inside. So Peter wrote this letter to encourage believers on how to make their calling and election, in other words, their salvation, sure. How are you going to make your faith strong in these dark times so that you won't fall away? And I can't think of a more relevant question to ask, especially in these days when people are falling away in droves. Even just the other day, I just saw this YouTube title, uh, clicked on it, watched maybe five minutes, but a megachurch pastor renounces faith. That seems to happen every month nowadays. Another pastor, another pastor, another pastor. And if pastors are renouncing their faith and leaving, then what about believers sitting in these churches? And so how do you make your calling and your election sure? How do you make your faith strong in these dark times? So Peter wrote this letter to encourage people. And so here was his encouragement. He said, remember. Okay, remember what? Remember the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he repeats that. Remember. Remember the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus saves sinners like you and me through his life, death, and resurrection. If you ever need to memorize a quick summary of the gospel, that's it right there. Jesus saves sinners through his life, death, and resurrection. Peter said, remember that. Remember the grace of God in that gospel. He said, remember all the gifts that have come into your life through faith in that gospel. 
He said, remember that. Why? Because that's the foundation you're going to build your whole Christian life upon. So that's the intro to the entire letter, verses 1 through 4. And then starting in verse 5, Peter shifts gears. And then he says, now on that foundation of God's grace, build. You don't just kick back with faith. And that's what a lot of Christians do these days. They have faith. I'm going to heaven, right? Yes. Cool. And they just kick back with faith. Peter says, no, build, right? Make every effort. Build on that faith that you have by God's grace. Build what? Build a holy life. Build a godly life. Add to your faith virtue, and then knowledge, then self-control, then steadfastness, then godliness, and then love, brotherly love, and then God's agape love. Build. So this is Peter's encouragement. And so with that combination of God's grace in your life, that's the foundation, right? So with God's grace and then your diligent effort to live a holy life, based on that foundation, Peter said, you're going to stand. You're going to escape the corruption in this world. In other words, you're going to make it all the way to the end with your faith in Christ and you're going to go to heaven. You're going to make it. And people who don't know God's grace, nor are they diligently building on that, they're not going to make it. It's as simple as that. And God forbid, but I pray for people in our church that you won't be one of those people who are going to show up on YouTube one day, oh, I left my faith. And I have this unusual peace in my heart. No, you don't. That's a demonic peace. So I pray that nobody here would be like that, but it takes God's grace. It takes striving to build upon that grace. But Peter says, if you do, you will escape the corruption of this world. So all of that is in verses 1 through 15. And then in the next section, verses 16 through 21, this was last week. Brother Sam preached on that. Blessed to sit back and just hear the word. But here, Peter was looking back at everything he just said, and he was looking ahead. So he was looking back at the gospel he just described, the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the gifts of God's grace. And then he was looking ahead at the controversy that he was going to address in the rest of the letter. Namely, Jesus' second coming, the controversy involving Jesus' second coming. There were people saying that Jesus isn't coming back. Why is it taking so long? So here he is now looking back and looking ahead, and he was answering this question. But what is all of this based on, right? What is this gospel that I just talked about, and what is this Second coming of Jesus that people are denying, what is that based upon? Are they based on cleverly invented stories and myths? Which, by the way, people today, that's what they say. These are all myths, right? I remember one time I was on the college campus sharing the gospel, and then after about 15 minutes of sharing, you know, trying to be really careful sharing the gospel, this guy just said, oh, thank you. That's a myth, right? It's like one of those facepalm moments. Uh, No, it's not a myth. But that's how people think today. Are these cleverly invented stories and myths? Is this where Peter got all of this from? Why should believers reading this letter trust Peter? More importantly, why should they trust and obey Christ? Well, last Sunday, Sam did a good job of explaining the three authorities that Peter's gospel and Jesus' return are based upon. So just briefly, they are, number one, the authority of the apostles' eyewitness. Peter is saying, I didn't invent anything. I saw this with my own eyes. And so we can't get into all of that, but that is the first authority. The second authority, God the Father's testimony about Jesus at his baptism and transfiguration. Peter is saying, we heard God. 
himself to the point where we are willing to lay down our lives for it. Nobody lays down their life for a lie. But they all died for this testimony. Number three, the authority of the scriptures. And there is a quality about the scriptures that has endured through the ages. Why are we still talking about it today in 2023? There is something about the scriptures, the best-selling book of all time, that people have held on to. There is authority there. There is truth there. Peter is saying, this is what we stand on. This is what the gospel is based upon. This is what Jesus' second coming rests upon, these three authorities. So based on these three authorities, believers can trust everything Jesus did for them. And they can trust everything Jesus said about his second coming. So hopefully that's clear. So that is chapter one. Okay, that was a quick review, but chapter one. Now today we are now in chapter two. So we're beginning an entire new section. And here in chapter two, Peter dives headfirst into the real problem now he's addressing in this letter. The real problem that his churches were facing. And here's the problem. Teachers, false teachers, had come into the churches and they were spreading these false teachings, these heresies. And Peter is basically going to spend the remainder of this letter addressing this problem. He's going to rebuke these false teachers and he's going to try to counter these false teachings. And today we're only going to look at the first three verses in chapter 2. But this is Peter's introduction to this entire topic. So it's kind of like a little thumbnail sketch of the false teachers and the false teaching. So Peter's just kind of giving a quick little intro here. But this is very important because he's kind of laying the landscape. This is what we're dealing with. This is the impact they're having on the church. So I'm warning you. And so what I want to do today is I want to just look at these three verses. We're going to just look at them. And then what I want to focus on uh, kind of towards the latter half of today and then heading into next week and the following week, I want to look at actual false teachings in our day that I believe are spreading. They're not small. They're massive. And they are impacting the church. They're actually having a great effect upon the church. So we're going to begin looking at one of them today after we look at the first three verses. So what did Peter say about false teachers and false teachings? So first, false teachers. Look at verse 1. Peter says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, there's something very strange in these verses. One of the most interesting things here is Peter uses the future tense. And everything I've read about these verses point that out. That's very strange because later in the letter, Peter clearly says, these false teachers are already there in the church. They're already there doing their thing, spreading false teachings and heresies. So why did Peter say there will be? So he says here, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in heresies, destructive heresies. Many will follow their sensuality. They will exploit you with false words. So why? Why all this future tense? Well, there are some different theories on why Peter used the future tense. One possible theory that I think is very likely is Peter was quoting early Christian prophecies about the coming of false teachers into the church. So Peter's just kind of drawing from these early Christian prophecies. And they all said, will, will, will. So he's using the same thing, will, will, will. So that's one possibility. But I also believe the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to use the future tense and also to keep the identity of the false teachers and teachings vague. I believe Peter did that, inspired by the Spirit. Why? 
so that every believer reading this would see Peter's warning as directed to them. I really believe that's one reason the Spirit put it in the future and kept things vague. It's so that it doesn't matter who reads it and what generation, even today in 2023, when you read it, it sounds immediate to us. There will be false teachers, church. There will be false teachers coming into your ranks, into your community, into your family, church. Peter said false prophets will come. There will be false teachers among you. Specifically, Peter said false prophets also arose among the people. And that word is also important, also. It means if there are true prophets, there will also be false prophets. The reason why there's something false is because there's something true. And God is true. God truly speaks. So there's going to be a false version of that. If there is true prophecy, there will also be false prophecy. If there was true teaching, or false teaching, I should say, spreading through the early church, there will also be false teaching spreading through today's church. So Paul's saying also, or I'm sorry, Peter. Peter's saying also. Okay, this is unavoidable. This is the reality. So false teachers and their teachings will come. Okay, they were present all throughout Israel's history. They are present all throughout church history. They are present today. And the moment somebody thinks, oh, I don't know. I don't know about all this. Then you're probably already deceived. So this is what the Bible is saying. So false teachers and teachings are like viruses and pathogens. That's the way I see it. But the moment a baby is born, she will encounter viruses. I mean, every parent knows that. Every person in the medical field knows that. But it is unavoidable. It is inevitable. And that's why there's an immune system. And that's why that immune system needs to be built up. But the moment a human being is born into this world, there are viruses and pathogens. And that's how it is with Christians. The moment you come to faith in Christ and now you're spiritually born, false teachings false teachers will cross your path. So that was the reality that Peter is describing here, and he gave a very strong warning about false teachers, and he warned about their actions, their influence, and their judgment. So let me look at these things just briefly. Their actions. So first, their actions. Second Peter 2, 1, and then 3. He says, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So what are they doing? Okay, what, what are these false teachers doing? What is their work when they come into a church? Well, first it says here, they will work in secret to bring in destructive heresies. It's never in the open. See, no false teacher walks into the doors of a church and says, false teaching coming through, right? Nobody says that. No false teacher comes announced. But it is always in secret it will always be the least likely people. And why is that? It's because secrecy is their strength. They know that. That's how they get leveraged. That's how they get accepted. I remember not long ago watching this YouTube video of a Christian YouTuber, and she was sharing about going to this church during this time of seeking in her life, her and her husband. And they found this church. They really liked it immediately. The pastor was very clean cut. He was eloquent. He was educated. They were immediately drawn to him, and they started attending. And then after a few weeks, that pastor invited this couple to join them, I guess to a private meeting at his home. It wasn't announced to everybody. So they're like, uh, okay. And they felt very happy to go. And then when they went and started attending that meeting, the pastor informed the gathering there, all the people there that, you know, wanted to share something very private, very personal, but I don't really believe that the Bible is God's word. And I don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but I'm on this journey of searching. 
this is the pastor. And this couple was shocked. But this pastor invited everyone there saying, you know, I'm inviting you because there's something about you guys. I want to invite you onto this journey with me to question these things. And so that was the clean-cut, educated, eloquent pastor. And so false teachers always work like that. Always, right? Every time, you know, on, on the campus, just a quick little story, but every time we did evangelism, the guy wearing like the heavy, heavy metal t-shirt with holes in it, and he's like huge, and he looks a little intimidating and scary, he's like the most open to the gospel track that we give. And then the most clean-cut person they're the most shut off, right? I, I don't know why. It was always like that. They're the ones who look at it and they just toss that on the ground right in front of you. But the guy, you're like, no way, right? You're intimidating. They're the ones who just completely open up and we have like a 30-minute talk with them. So it's always the ones who don't appear to be the false teachers. They are the ones because they're the ones who use it to their advantage. It's their leverage. It's their strength. So Peter said they work in secret. Peter also said they deny the master who bought them. In other words, they will deny Christ. That's the master who bought them. So this can mean a direct denial of the doctrines of Christ. Doctrine just simply means teaching. So this could be a direct denial of Jesus' virgin birth, his resurrection, like that pastor I just mentioned. Jesus' dual nature, a truly God, truly man. It could be a direct denial of the doctrines of Christ. Or more likely, Peter here is talking about a denial of Christ through their lifestyle, through their lifestyle. So these false teachers were saying, Jesus, Lord, right? I'm a Christian. I have a Bible. I'm clean cut. I'm here at church. Jesus, Lord. But then they deny him, Peter says, through their lifestyle, by living as if he is not Lord at all. And we know Peter probably meant this because he used a very strong word to describe them in verse 2. He said their sensuality, sensuality. That word sensuality in the Greek has a very strong meaning. I know in the English you're like, what does that mean? They dress kind of provocatively? No, it means shameful immorality, hardened immorality, depraved conduct. It's a very strong word. But Peter is saying they're going to be sensual. And their teachings are going to be sensual. In other words, they're going to be immoral and they're going to lead people into immorality. But it's with this cover, this veneer of Christian talk and with a Bible in their hand. So Peter said, they are going to call Jesus Lord, master, and yet live in a way that denies him as master. They're going to live in an immoral life. So false teachers will also have this quality, always, always. So they're going to come in secret, very clean cut, unassuming, and they're going to teach things that will lead you away from Jesus being Lord. And then finally, Peter said, they will exploit you with false words. And that word exploit there means to selfishly use someone for your own end. And that's just the normal meaning of that word. But false teachers will do that using their words. And that's why they're teachers, right? They're not pulling you physically away from Christ, but they're going to pull you through words. They're going to manipulate. They're going to exploit you through words. So their words will sound true, but they are half-truths. They're going to sound encouraging to your faith, but they are destroying your faith. They're going to sound like words from God, but they are teachings of demons, as Paul called it in 1 Timothy 4.1. So it's demonic. I know that's not politically correct. I know most people just turn their eyes, roll their eyes when they hear it today. But the Bible is clear. This is demonic. So these are the actions of the false teachers. So they're going to work in secret. They will deny Christ with immoral living, 
leading other people into immoral living, and then finally, they're gonna exploit people selfishly using them with false words. And so this is the thumbnail sketch of the false teacher. And for many Christians sitting in church, this might sound just out there. Okay, you're kidding me though, right? Like this is everywhere? It sounds a little unrealistic. And yet Peter says many, right? Many are going to fall away. Why? Because there will be many teachers like that spreading all throughout churches, all throughout the communities that we're in. So there will be many. And so this brings us to the next point, their influence. Peter says in 2 Peter 2.2, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So many. So it's not way out there. It's not just that one weirdo, right, that you run into every now and then who has a weird Bible and talks about weird things. No, many. So their influence is massive. And the reason why is because they will say what people want to hear. Many will follow what? their sensuality. In other words, their teachings which are sensual. So what that means is they're gonna offer what the carnal man and woman, dead in their sins, already wanna hear. Okay, that's what that means. They're gonna offer things and talk about things that the person who is dead to Christ, dead in their sins, just already wanna hear. And they're always gonna come with a thin coating of Bible verses, Christian ideas, to make it easier to swallow in church but that's gonna be their teaching. And so, you know, when we look back on the last, I don't know, 30 years or so, an obvious example comes to mind, the prosperity gospel. This is not the example that I'm gonna be talking about, but it's worth mentioning here. This is probably the most blatant, popular example of this, but the prosperity gospel, okay, pumping through the airwaves on TBN, on the internet, you know, the biggest churches in the world, in fact, preach this. It's a false gospel that offers health, wealth, prosperity, everything that the natural man already worships. And they preach, they can all be yours on demand. All you have to do is pr uh, praise Jesus, trust Jesus, and say certain words of faith, hallelujah, amen. It's all yours. And so this heresy is at large in America, is still rampant in America. It's especially taken hold in Africa. Last year we were in Africa. I, I talked to pastors, they said, yeah, it's a big problem. It's everywhere in Africa. Latin America, parts of Asia, so it's huge, we know that. But this heresy is already showing its age. This is an older heresy that's still around, but it's starting to get pushed down by other greater heresies. So yeah, is this a problem? Sure. Has it been around for a while, causing problems? Sure. But there are newer, older heresies, or greater heresies that are pushing this one down. And yet, this is still a good example of how one simple lie can lead massive numbers of people astray. The sensual teachings, things that the carnal man or woman already wants to hear. Okay, you want power to control your life? Yeah, come here. We'll give you power. Every sermon is gonna talk about how do, you, how do you have power to control your life. You want freedom from your marriage? Sure, we'll talk about that. Right, maybe divorce is in your future. I mean, you name it, you want money, you'll have lots and lots of it. This is what they talk about. And it has led millions and millions astray. And because of that, Peter says, the way of truth, in other words, true biblical Christianity will be blasphemed. It will be mocked and ridiculed. Isn't that true? This is so true. I mean, just go to a video on YouTube talking about private jets and shady finances of the prosperity preachers. Oftentimes, these videos are posted by secular news shows. 
but just search any of these videos and then go down to the comment section and read what people have to say about Christianity. It's just ridiculed, right? Mocked, blasphemed. This is what Peter is saying. Everything he's talking about is everywhere in our culture, everywhere. Because of these false teachers, because of their sensual teachings, the way of truth will be blasphemed. It will be ridiculed and mocked. And so this is the massive influence that false teachers will have and have always had. They will preach human words to our human sin nature, to people who are listening with human desires, and millions will fall. They will all follow. And then millions will mock the true Christian way. And so this is the portrait that Peter is painting. And then finally, in Peter's introduction, he gives the last thing. He talks about the judgment of false teachers, the judgment. Look at verses 1 and then verse 3, the second part. Peter says, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And that word destruction or version of it is a very important word. It's repeated often throughout this letter. In fact, in these three verses alone, it's repeated three times. And the reason why is because destruction is the theme regarding all false teachers. God is saying anytime there's a false teacher giving false teaching, there's going to be destruction. That teaching will produce destruction, and because of that, they will now face destruction, the teachers. So it is God's judgment on false teachers and their teachings to bring destruction. So this is what Peter is saying. Their way is going to be destruction. And so God, out of great love, great love for his church and his people, he's going to bring swift destruction on anything that hinders, anything that hurts his people. This is why there will always be destruction on these teachers. So Peter says here, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. That's a poetic way of saying God's judgment is going to be absolutely certain. See, so much of this letter that Peter wrote talks about, like, where is everything, right? Jesus' second coming, I don't see it. Where is everything? This judgment on false teachers, I mean, where? They seem to be thriving. Like, what's going on? And Peter repeatedly says, it's coming. Mark my words. I saw the risen Christ. I'm an eyewitness. I heard God the Father. I know the scriptures. Trust me, it is coming, guaranteed. It is absolutely certain. That's what he's saying. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. It is absolutely coming, guaranteed for certain. And if they do not repent, if they continue doing what they're doing, then it'll come sooner than later. So this is Paul's portrait. If you want to know what will happen to these teachers, one word, destruction. And I'm not going to say much more on that because Peter talks a lot more on God's judgment in the rest of chapter 2, so we're going to get into that in the following weeks. But this is the end of every false teacher. So that's Peter's thumbnail uh, sketch of the false teachers and their teachings. They have certain actions, they have certain influence, and then finally they're going to face judgment. They're going to be destroyed. And what I want to do for the remainder of today, and then we're going to pick this up next week and then the following week, is I want to go into an actual false teaching. Actually, two different false teachings that are threatening the church today. 
And these are not small things, brothers and sisters, but these are massive in scope. In fact, and this is no exaggeration, they're so massive, they're shifting our culture. It's actually changing the culture that we're living in right now. Now, Peter does not mention these specific false teachings in this chapter, obviously, but he does keep it vague. Um, he does keep it vague enough where we can apply, for the most part, what he says, that thumbnail sketch, and then apply it to the false teachings in our day. And it fits. It fits. So what did Peter say about false teachings? Okay, well, what are some of these qualities of the false teachings coming from these false teachers? Well, if you look at Second Peter again in verses 1, 2, and 3, parts of these verses... He called them destructive heresies. So again, that word again, destroy, destructive. Whenever these false teachings come, they're going to destroy things. Namely, the faith of believers, the walk that we have with Christ, churches even, and then even non-Christians in their lives, it destroys. They will deny Christ, the master who bought them. They will be sensual. Again, they're going to appeal to the natural man and woman and what they already want especially sexual desire, sexual immorality. And then finally, they will be filled with false words. So it's going to be filled with just all kinds of things that aren't true, but it's just going to be everywhere. And many false teachings today fit that description all throughout history, in fact. But there is one false teaching in particular that I believe, which is rapidly growing today, fits those descriptions almost perfectly. It really does. And it's neo-paganism. Neo-paganism. And neo-paganism was already growing when I was starting out in ministry 25 years ago, but it has exploded in recent years. And this isn't just like some little show on Netflix, right? This isn't like the weird friend who likes tarot cards. But this is shifting our culture. And the Bible has predicted it. But neo-paganism. So 25 years ago, this was not the greatest threat. This was not the greatest threat drawing people away from God you know what was 25 years ago? It was secular humanism. Okay, that is what I heard about all the time. That is what I read books on. That is what we talked about as pastors all the time. Secular humanism. What do we do about secular humanism? And secular humanism, quickly, is a worldview that basically says matter and energy is all there is, right, in the universe. That's all there is. There's no spiritual world. There's no spirit. There's no soul. Just matter and energy. Human reason alone will save us from all our problems. True knowledge comes only from the hard sciences. How many of you guys are in the sciences? Okay, that's what you believe probably until you became a Christian. Some of you still believe that, right? That's, that's the only knowledge we have from the hard sciences. That, by the way, is a self-refuting statement. Okay, it's illogical because that statement itself doesn't come from hard science. That statement itself you can't test in a laboratory. It's a philosophical statement. Oh, but it's true though, right? The only knowledge we can have is from the hard sciences. But that's secular humanism. And that was the greatest threat that people faced, drawing them away from God when I was starting out in ministry. So that's what we talked about all the time. But you know what? Not anymore. Secular humanism is fading. In fact, I even just saw a report recently saying that there was a, um, a neo-atheist movement, like a new atheist movement about 15 years ago, 10 years ago. It's all but kaput now. It's all gone. And atheism is always like that. Atheism never lasts for more than a generation or two. It doesn't have the staying power, right? So atheism is fading fast, secular humanism is fading fast, and what has taken its place is neo-paganism, and it is shifting our culture, brothers and sisters. One Bible teacher and author said it like this, but the ancient gods have come back. The ancient gods have come back. 
And they are back in larger numbers and worse than before. And Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 43 through 45. But he said in, the, in these verses, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house, okay, the person from which I came. And when it comes back, it finds the house empty. Talking about the person, right? The life of the person. It finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then this demon goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And most of us, when we hear that, we stop there and we, we think, oh yeah, this is talking about individuals, right? And yes, this can happen to individuals. But Jesus didn't end the parable there. What's the last verse in that parable? So also will it be with this evil generation. He's talking about entire cultures. He's saying this is what's gonna happen to entire generations. They're gonna come to faith, there's gonna be a mass exorcism of the demonic and pagan religions, they're gonna be followers of me, and then when they abandon that faith, all these demons are gonna rush back in greater force than before. And so this is exactly what happened in the West. This happened in ancient Israel, and this is what's, ha what's happening today in the West. So the Bible story is really our story. I like, what, I like what Mark Driscoll said. He's a controversial pastor, I know, but he has good theology. But he said the Bible is not only about what happened in the past, it's about what always happens. And I totally agree. The Bible is not just about what happened in the past, it's about what always happens again and again and again. Why? Because God knows human nature and human nature has never changed. Doesn't matter how fancy your phones get, we are the same. Our souls are the same. And the spiritual realm that we interact with is the same. And so when the gospel swept through the Roman Empire and then Europe and then it spread into the new Americas here, what happened? Basically a mass exorcism happened. It went from paganism everywhere, the occult everywhere, to suddenly mass numbers of people came to faith in Christ and all of that for the most part went underground. For the most part, most of that was just stamped out almost. And so there was this mass exodus of the pagan gods. And for the most part, demonic activity kind of went underground. I mean, it was still there, but it wasn't seen, obviously. But now, fast forward many, many millennia, and the West has abandoned God. It has abandoned biblical Christianity. I mean, I don't even have to argue that point. It's obvious. Look around. And what Jesus said would happen has happened. A generation that comes to faith in me the spirit leaves, but when you abandon my faith, when you abandon my way, they come back with greater force. So also, this will happen to this generation, Jesus said. So the demons have come back. And there has been an explosion of neo-paganism in the occult. Explosion. Again, so much so that the culture is shifting. In fact, you probably know someone who has been exposed to it, who's practicing it right now. You probably know somebody. In fact, in my limited like, ministry, in my little world, I've actually dealt with two people who was trapped in that and I had to do ministry. I mean, they were deeply scarred and they were trapped in that. They went to some psychic, they got some readings. I mean, they were really, really struggling. I don't even know if one of them ever came out of it. So you probably know people as well. So neo-paganism is here. The old, the old pagan gods have come back. These are the same pagan gods that Paul encountered in his ministry. Again, Christianity drove them out through the preaching of the gospel, and yet they have come back. Springtide Research reported that 44% of young people, 
Okay, these are people from 13 to 25 years old have engaged in occult activity using crystals to channel energy, and they are burning herbs. They have burned herbs to ward off evil spirits. Okay, listen to that number, 44%. That's almost one in two. That means you go out there, you talk to a young person, almost every other person you talk to has done some of this pagan activity. Pew Research Center found that 42% of U.S. adults believe in spiritual energy. 41% of U.S. adults believe in psychics. 33% of U.S. adults believe in reincarnation. 29% of U.S. adults believe in astrology. And you know what's so sad? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the number of quote-unquote Christians isn't that much lower. Many people in the U.S. who say they are Christian, they have the same beliefs in the church. And these numbers, they only tell a part of the story, but paganism and the occult is saturating our culture at every level. So for example, witch covens are popping up nearly in every city. A witch coven is basically a regular gathering of witches, Wiccan witches. Women's circles are also growing in popularity. These are groups of women who gather together to practice pagan rituals. I, I just saw a video of one that's taking off in Santa Barbara and is multiplying, but women's circles. These are pagan groups. TikTok has so many videos on paganism and the occult, people call it witch talk. Have you guys heard that? Witch talk. But last year, TikTok had six billion views of videos on paganism and the occult, six billion. Netflix, Amazon, and Disney have also become platforms spreading paganism and the occult. Okay, you guys know shows like Stranger Things. How many of you guys have seen that? Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> You've seen Stranger Things. Stranger Things, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Little Demon. This was a cartoon. It was pitched towards children. But this was a cartoon of a woman who married Satan, had a child, a girl, and it was a cartoon about that girl, Little Demon. And many, many more. And by the way, this is nothing new. There's always been shows about paganism and the occult, right? We know that for decades and decades. But it's just more explicit now. It's in our face. It's more blatant. It's also showing up in Silicon Valley. You guys aren't safe either, you tech bros and, and, and gals. But the online newspaper, San Francisco Week Weekly, said more and more, I'm quoting, more and more techies are seeking out mystical advisors to help guide their business plans. What does my trajectory look like over the next six to 12 months? Or career goals, should I try to laterally move into another department where I am not product manager? So these are questions that are trying to get answered from these mediums. The article continued, the trend has proven a boon to San Francisco area seers. Seers are psychics. Like Nikki Bonafillo, who told San Francisco Weekly she has clients from Apple, Twitter, Facebook, and basically every other tech giant you can think of. She's saying business is great, it's booming. Many political activists are engaged in paganism and the occult. I saw a video, I actually saw this video of the three founders of Black Lives Matter. Three women founded that organization, BLM. And on this video, they're talking about how they regularly talk to the dead martyrs in their movement. One woman says she actually talks daily to these spirits who come into her living room and she, she communicates with these spirits. And they talked about how they all practice the West African pagan rituals. These are political activists leading one of the most high profile movements in our country. So the picture is clear, the pagan gods are back. They've come back in greater force than ever before in a shifting culture. And so yes, secular humanism, is that a problem? It's still around. Okay, that needs to be refuted, it's illogical. 
Okay, it's, it's not a worldview that people can build their lives on. But far more than that is paganism. Okay, this is spreading everywhere. And when I look at the church, more than secular humanism, that has actually affected the church a lot. That has actually driven out truth claims from the pulpit so that now people just preach therapeutic sermons all the time. It's all about your feelings and how God can help you in your life. It's all about utility, right? So that's the result of secular humanism. But more than that, now you're seeing paganism right from the pulpit. Pagan ideas, pagan thoughts. And so all of this has come back with a vengeance. And along with that, the occult and heightened demonic activity. All of this is back. This is the culture we live in now. And so next week, what we're going to look at is what neo-paganism actually is. How does it fit the description that Peter gives in the false teaching that he was dealing with? But what is neo-paganism? Why are people drawn to it? What are essential beliefs? How is it in the church today? And then most importantly, how can we help those who are caught in it? So we're going to look at that next week. Amen? So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Your word is so clear. We will have false teachers and false teachings. We will. And it's not a matter of if, but when. And that when is now. It's here. It is everywhere. And so, Lord God, these things are so vast and they are so complex. It's hard to really even tease apart exactly what's going on. But I think all of us, we can kind of sense there's a lot going on that is contrary to your holy scripture. There's a lot that pulls us away from the faithful walk that you command us to walk, following Christ, being rooted in the gospel. And I pray and ask, oh God, that you would please help us. Help us, Lord, as a church, Begin to show us, Lord, these things more clearly. Lord, we, we need to learn. We need to be aware. And we need to respond properly. So, Lord God, please help us. So, Lord God, we thank you so much, Father. We give you all the glory. Um, yeah, Father, we're not afraid. We're, we're not anxious. Uh, you've told us in advance all of these things. And so simply what we want to do is just respond respond properly. So Lord God, we thank you and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's just come before the Lord. God is so good. And I just want to encourage you, like what we talked about at the beginning of this service. But Peter said, remember Remember, be rooted in the gospel. Constantly remind yourself, preach it to yourself. Read your Bible. We live in a day and age where it's no longer an option. It was never an option, but in the past, maybe people could get away with it because the culture was still, by and large, Christianized. that's no longer true. People will not make it unless they are regularly reading the scriptures, remembering the gospel that saved them, being 
rooted in these things, building upon these things by God's grace. Let's just come before the Lord. Every Sunday we have a, a time of response where we just spend a minute or two in prayer responding to God's word. And, and this is the time to just kind of reflect on your own life. Where are you with God and Jesus? So let's just do that right now. Thank you, Father.